Well, good morning again, everyone. You look great 10 minutes later, still looking awesome. Um, Again, my name is Drew. I'm the worship arts pastor here at South Suburban. I want to start this morning by saying that God loves you. Right where you're at today, God loves you. And you're just going to have to live with that. (laughs) Hey, I hope this morning that as we spend a little bit of time together, that you encounter his love for you and that we all get to know Jesus a little bit better. Today's part five in our series of talks about the Bible called The Good Book. In this series, we're exploring the overarching story of the Bible, unpacking the eight major themes found within its pages, and discovering our own place within that story. Now, there are Bibles under the seats in front of you. We'll also display some verses on the screen. And there's a notes page in your bulletin. The notes page is a little bit different this morning in that the notes make up a brief prayer rather than points. Now, before we dive in, I want to ask a very important question. How many here grew up with Barbie dolls? I told you it was important, right? Yeah, I grew up with three older sisters, so Barbie dolls were part of life. Now, in truth, they most often were targets of reconnaissance and brilliant military strategies for my G.I. Joes. But they were part of growing up. And even as a kid, I remember just being amazed and slightly horrified at how many different kinds of Barbie dolls there were. There was literally a Barbie for every occasion. Big gala tonight? We've got you covered. There's evening gown Barbie. Uh, Need a vacation? No worries. Malibu Beach Barbie to the rescue. Uh, Time to launch a clandestine airstrike? Well convince Evening Gown Barbie to meet Malibu Barbie at Mocha Latte Barbie's cafe and then blow the whole thing up. Now, why all this talk about Barbie dolls? Well, because they're awesome, obviously. You know, this is why. In 1959, there was the original Barbie doll. 1959. But with the passing of time and the art of marketing, Barbie became an all-occasion cultural icon. I believe that's happened with Jesus as well. Allow me to demonstrate. Perhaps you'll be familiar with some of these Jesus Christ action figures. Let's take a look. Um, First, we have classic clip art Jesus. Mm -hmm. Next, we have I caught a fish this big Jesus. Um, The next one we have is intergalactic Jesus. If you got to know Jesus in the 70s, this looks just about right. Um, Next we have, oh, dental assistant Jesus. That's a good one. And lastly, this is one that I grew up with. How many of you have this one in your homes? Yeah, I refer to this one lovingly as vintage Ikea Jesus. Because let's face it, that guy is Scandinavian. (laughs) Now, all of this painstaking research led me to this conclusion. At a certain point in history, Jesus showed up the original. Over time, I think just like with the Barbie doll, we've come to create all kinds of versions of Jesus, one for every occasion. So many that I wonder if we would recognize him if he walked into the room this morning. What would he look like? What qualities would he possess that would help us identify him as Jesus? 
Hang on to that thought because you'll see as we transition in the Good Book series this morning from the Old Testament to the New Testament that when Jesus showed up, the Hebrew people were already looking for a Savior. Last weekend, Pastor Joe introduced us to the books right in the middle of the Bible, which are the writings of the prophets. Those writings, concluding with the book of Malachi, complete the Old Testament. So then if you open up your Bible, right after the book of Malachi, there's usually a title page that says New Testament. Those New Testament writings have to do with Jesus. The first four books, known as the Gospels, are accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, and the rest are letters that were circulated amongst some of the first followers of Jesus. Those letters look back on Jesus' life and the impact of his teachings. But they also provide a framework for understanding how to live in light of the mystery that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Now that's, that's a lot to take in, but let me tell you that it's worth it. Today we're going to look at the first chapter of the first book in the New Testament, John chapter 1. As we do that, I want you to realize something historically. Between the last chapter of Malachi and the first chapter of John, there's more than a page turn happening. Malachi was ministering, and, and his prophecies were written down around 420 B.C., now, Jesus showed up when the years stopped being B.C. Does that make sense? Before Christ, he showed up. Yeah, they changed right then when he showed up. And uh, so the time frame in that page turn in your Bible is right around 400 years, okay? Now, if you're a Hebrew and you've come to discover that God has a unique purpose for your life, and that he has something special in mind to do through your people group, that's a long time to wait to see what's next. That would be like sending a text message and then seeing the dots for 400 years. Hey, God, smiley face emoji. What are your plans this century? Dots. Then God, new phone, who dis? Right? During that 400-year period, the Hebrew people, they lived in light of what they'd come to know about God and how he worked in the world. The writings of the prophets, the words by which the Hebrew people lived, pointed to a Savior that would come and that would transform the world, setting people free from bondage and oppression, from sickness and disease, defeating the power of evil, and even death itself. And so the people were waiting. While they waited, they imagined what this Savior would be like. Many of the people were looking for a Messiah to be a charismatic military leader who would unify the nation, crush the Roman Empire, and establish Israel as the epicenter of devout worship to the one true God. Now, because the Hebrews were subjugated to foreign rule in their own land, forced to pay exorbitant taxes to Caesar, surrounded at every moment by Roman soldiers, and denied religious freedom, their cry for salvation was rooted in very real experience and need. Scatter the darkness. Defeat the enemy. Grant us grace. Provide for our needs. And God, set us free. Can you relate to that this morning? 
Can you relate to that heart cry? God, I can't discern the next step. Scatter the darkness. Shine your light. Defeat the works of of evil in this world. And God, where I've participated in evil, grant me grace and forgiveness. God, do something. In response to those prayers, God sent his son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the crazy thing. Jesus arrived on the scene as a baby born in a barn in a backwoods town to a couple of poor folks whose relationship was questionable at best. The Hebrew people, they were looking for pedigree and power. So when Jesus showed up, most of them didn't even recognize him. Jesus, through whom all things were created, by whose word all things are sustained, walked among his own people, and they didn't even know it. And so John, in the first chapter of his gospel account, writes this. Let's take a look together. It says, he was in the world. Oh, there he is. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was right there. And most folks missed him. Didn't even recognize him. What a bunch of idiots, right? I mean, I mean, bless their hearts. <laughs> now, before we rush to judgment, it bears mentioning that while the Bible tells us that each one of us is created in the image of God, would you agree with me that, that, that one of the things we like to do as people is try to make God in our own image? Would you agree with that? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that you'd prefer if God looked like you, acted like you, talked in a way that you could understand, watched the same news channels that you did, voted the way you do, you know, wouldn't that make you more comfortable sometimes to say, oh, I can relate to him. He's just like me. 
See, here's one of the most compelling things about Jesus. As soon as we think that we understand him, he does or says something that will challenge our preconceptions and invite us to more fully embrace the adventure of actually following him. When we think he's going to pass judgment on a woman caught in adultery, he protects her. And he actually challenges the mocking crowd to examine their own hearts. When we expect him to dine with dignitaries, we find Jesus at the local bar. When the Hebrews expected a military superhero to arrive, instead, they got a baby born out of wedlock. Who are you looking for? Our first prayer this morning is this. Jesus, let me see your face. Let me see your face. You don't need to fear this morning that you might miss Jesus. Acknowledging that he might be different than you expect is a really good first step. And asking for the grace to recognize him, to see Jesus more clearly, that's a prayer that God is delighted to answer. While we won't see him face to face until he returns, the opening of John's gospel gives us things to look for in order to recognize Jesus' presence in the world and in our own lives. John writes this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. One of the things I love about the way that the church marks the seasons is that the church year begins when the days are shortest. Advent, which this year begins Sunday, December 2nd, is a season defined by waiting, defined by longing, a season in which we'll join our voices together and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That season unfolds during the darkest time of the year. I think it shapes us to acknowledge that there are seasons in which our prayers go unanswered. Our hopes remain as yet unfulfilled. Desires are un unmet. Longings are given voice, but no reward. Sometimes we wait. And then, as if in harmony with the universe itself, we gather on Christmas Eve. And as the sun goes down over the mountains and darkness once again surrounds us, the lights in this place dim until the only light is the Christ candle. And we almost hear the words of John echoing in our hearts. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then from that single Christ candle, one candle is lit. And then two, and then four. And like the winter season, almost imperceptibly at first, the light begins to grow until every face in this place is reflecting the warmth of the presence of Christ. Here's the next part of our prayer. 
Where there is darkness, shine your light. Jesus is present in our world wherever light shines in the darkness. Okay, church, so we've established so far that Jesus is shiny, right? You can write that down in your notes. Jesus, muy shiny. Mm -hmm. But John also tells us that in Jesus we find life. In Jesus we find life. Now, there are a lot of ways to approach this idea, but I'd like to focus specifically this morning on the power of a spoken word. Okay? Here are two competing ideas about the power of our words. Number one, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, yes, will never hurt me. Okay? That's the first idea. Competing with it is another idea. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, you only need to have gone to public school or been a teenager or interacted with anyone at any point to know that that first idea is garbage and that the second idea has weight, right? The words we speak hold the power of life and death. We know this to be true. Wives, what would it mean to hear your husband say, you're beautiful exactly as you are? There are still times when I walk into the room that I stop in my tracks because you still take my breath away. You're worthy of love, and I love the person you are. Thank you for making the world around you more beautiful. Thank you for the work you do day in and day out. You're an amazing mother and a true friend. I love you. Husbands, what would it mean to hear your wife say, I respect the man that you are. You're strong and courageous. You stand up for our family, and you stand up for what's right. Thank you for always working so hard. I respect you, and I'm proud to be your wife. How many children do we have in this room? If you're not sure, ask yourself this question. Did someone give birth to me? (laughs) If so, then you are a child. (laughs) Now that we've settled that quandary, what would it mean, regardless of age, what would it mean to hear your mom or your dad say to you, I love you for the person that you are, not for someone I expect you to be. I love who you are. You're amazing, and I'm proud of you. My life is richer, and I'm a better person because of you. You make a difference in this world. I love you. Words are powerful, aren't they? John tells us that Jesus is the very source and essence of life. So when Jesus speaks, you can imagine what kind of power, what kind of life is in those words. When he calls into a raging storm and says, peace, be still, the wind and the waves obey, and lives are saved. When he says the same words to a troubled heart, the storm within subsides and a life is saved. When he calls into the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. The dead man is raised to life. And when he speaks into our lives to hopes and dreams and relationships, we have long since given up for dead and says, rise again. 
Death gives way to life, and we see faith and hope and love take root once again. So the next part of our prayer is this, where there is death, bring forth life. Jesus is present in our world whenever death gives way to life. So I ask you, what words of life do you need to hear today? What words of life do you need to speak today? Okay, our short prayer is taking shape. Jesus, let me see your face. Where there is darkness, shine your light. Where there is death, bring forth life. We turn back to the first chapter of John. And it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, question. What do you think truck, truck manufacturers are really selling? Ford, Chevy, Dodge, what are they really selling? They're not really selling trucks. You know what they're selling? Watch football today. They're selling strength, toughness, and grit. Right? That's, that's honestly what they're selling. Do you wear a hard hat even when you mow the log? Do you eat 12 penny nails for breakfast? Well, this truck is for you. It's going to tow an aircraft carrier and make all the guys in your neighborhood ugly cry out of envy. So buy our truck and pick up some Kleenex on the way home because they'll need it. <laughs> that's, that's what Chevy's selling. Would you agree? I mean, where do we come up with this idea that we can never show weakness, never have doubts, never admit a mistake, and that somehow a truck is going to do that for us? that does in effect is it makes it so we don't have a way to deal with the other half of life. That's why the guys who buy those trucks eat nails for breakfast. They don't have any other way to deal with their struggles. They're literally eating their feelings. Now, a number of years ago, I led worship for a local church, and I'd been good friends with the pastor Jonas for years before that. About a week before I was set to start, I met with Jonas. I was really struggling with my faith and with my identity. And I said, I told him about it. I said, Jonas, I'm having doubts. I'm not sure I'm really a fan of Jesus right now. Um, I don't even know if this is where I should be. Jonas looked me in the eye and he said, Drew, this is exactly where you should be. While I don't generally recommend this approach for a pastoral job interview, um, in that moment, Jonas met my weakness with grace. A truck commercial pastor would have thrown me out on my ear, but instead, I received grace. The next part of our prayer is this. Where there is weakness, grant your grace. I got to tell you guys, Jonas, in all of my struggle and all of my doubt, that day reintroduced me to Jesus. Not in my strength, but in my weakness. And the grace of Jesus changed me. Okay, here's the last part of our prayer, so keep writing. In our confusion, be truth's embrace. In our confusion, be truth's embrace. 
I love the way that the author of this good book series, his name's Darren, the way he defines truth. It's really simple. He says, another word for truth is reality. Another word for truth is reality. And he says, Jesus is God as God really is. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he said, I'm the truth. Now that's more than saying, I'm going to tell you the truth, though he did that as well. He revealed that he was the embodiment of truth. Here's what that means. When he says something like, let the kids hang out with me, they're actually the all-stars of heaven. He was showing us how God really sees things. When he bypassed the fancy fancy dinner parties to eat at the local pub with tax collectors and fishermen, he was showing us how God really acts. It can be so confusing these days to know what's true, what's real in today's world. And following Jesus can be tricky at times because there are a lot of versions of Jesus. However, this Gospel of John It gives us a picture of Jesus as he really is. And it gives us things to look for to identify his presence today. Light and life. Grace and truth. I would encourage you to read your Bible. Isn't that a good pastor thing to say? You should read your Bible. No, really though. Start with John's gospel. Because as we make this transition to the New Testament, it's a great way to find out how Jesus really acts, who he really is, and to really get a a picture for God. Hey, as we wrap up today's talk and go into a time of response, I'd like for us to pray the prayer that we filled out in our notes, okay? Now, we'll put the whole prayer up on the screen so we can pray it together. Let this be your prayer during the upcoming week. Let's pray this together now. Jesus, let me see your face. Where there is darkness, shine your light. Where there is death, bring forth life. Where there is weakness, grant your grace. In our confusion, be truth's embrace. Jesus, let me see your face. Amen, church. Amen.